If you have a copy of God's Word with you, turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 18 and 1 Kings chapter 19 as we left the story of Elijah and all the prophets of Baal, all the prophets of the Asherah up on the mountain last week. And it had been half a day, and the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Asherah, those 850, had been dancing around, they'd been yelling, they had found themselves um, frustrated because their God hadn't answered them. Six hours they are chanting. Six hours they are walking around, they're running around, they're dancing around this altar that they had erected and there is no answer. And I told you my favorite part of the story because I am one full of sarcasm who lets it slip out every now and then was when Elijah started just calling them out. And he said, maybe your God is asleep. Maybe your God's on a journey. Maybe your God, and this was my favorite, was, you know, in the bathroom and the vent's on, so you got to yell a little louder. And that's kind of where we left it. That you and I must decide if the one true God, Jehovah, Yahweh, Elohim, if he is who he says he is, or if it's another God. And so I want us to pick up there this morning because uh, the false gods had their time. Those pagans who were trying their absolute best to have fire come down from heaven and consume their offering were wanting, and now it is God's turn. So, if you have a copy, turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 18, and we're going to pick up the story in verse number 30. I believe that those verses will be on the screen. If not, we'll find some that are in just a moment as I continue to read. But here's what is happening on Mount Carmel. Chapter 18, verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, Why don't you come near to me? And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. And Elijah took twelve stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones, with those twelve, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a a trench about the altar as great as would contain two says of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering And on the wood. And he said, Do it a second time. So fill the four jars again. And they did it a second time. And he said, Do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. Now catch this in verse 36. 
at the time of the offering of the obligation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me that this people may know that they may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell. The fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw, They fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal and let not one of them escape. And they seized them and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I bow before You. God, I pray that um, as we look at this passage, Lord, you would remind us of a couple of points. Father, you would remind us of a couple of things that are happening in our lives. You would remind us of things that are happening to those people that are around us at the job site, those people that are around us at the dinner table, those people that we love possibly even those that we call father, or mother, son, or daughter. And Father, remind me and remind us this morning that you are better even when the enemy is raging on the outside or the enemy is raging on the inside. You are better. May we stand there. May we not just acknowledge that, but might we drive the stake down in our hearts and in our lives that you, God, are better. Father, I pray that you would speak. Father, you would speak to the young boys and girls that are in this place. Father, you would speak to the men and women that are in this place. Individually, Lord, they need you. They don't need me. They need a word from you. And you are the only one who can bring it. You're the only one who can give it. And Father, I pray as James spoke about wisdom. I pray that you would give your word. And I know that you are good. And I know that you will do that. That we ask and you give it liberally. So Lord, I pray this morning that you would do just that every heart. I ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Two points this morning. The first is this. God shows He is better when the enemy charges from the outside. The enemy has done that. It is a major day. It is a huge, it's an epic battle that has not been taking place 
for quite some time. There are 850 prophets against one. The 850, they had had their time. The six hours plus had already taken place. They had ranted, they had raved, they had walked, they had yelled, they had cut. And let me just say a word about that. For half a day, they're chanting, they're dancing, and they're yelling. For half a day, they find themselves cutting. And and I told you last week that that cutting was this false god, and no matter what the false god is, it really doesn't matter what the false god is, when that is happening, whatever the false god is, hey, if you would just yell more, if you would just dance more, if you would just do more, I promise you, I will answer. And that's what's taking place here. And you and I live in a day where there is a new rage called cutting. It is done today by tweens and done today by teens, as I was Studying uh, the last couple of weeks, knowing that I was going to talk about this, I was reminded again by a number of articles and a number of sites that I looked at that it once was about 14 or 15 year olds, the last four or five years, and now they are seeing that 11 and 12 year old boys and 11 and 12 year old girls are beginning this thing called cutting. It's done by teens to help control their emotional pain, and it's becoming a widespread epidemic. Moms and dads, ask the questions. You need to ask the questions. We need to ask the questions. We need to have the dialogue with our kids and work through the issues that they are bringing up. And we say, you know what, it's a fairly new thing, but it's not a new thing. It it was happening 800 plus years before Jesus came on the scene. So for some 3,000 years, at least, it has been happening. That there is this action that is done by those to receive acknowledgement of what is going on, and all it is, is wrong. They were crying out. They were cutting themselves toward a false God. And the enemy is storming and the enemy is charging on the outside there on Mount Carmel. And the question for you and the question for me is this. Is God God? Is he who he says he is or is he not? Those 850 thought that Baal and the Asherah and all the plethora that they showed themselves supposedly toward them in were God, but they failed. Baal failed. Asherah failed. And now God shows up to say that he is better even when the enemy is from without. Elijah begins to prepare his bull. It's noon, and for the next three hours, get that, it's noon when he dispels them and they go off the scene, and for the next three hours, he prepares for worship. He prepares for God to move on that mountain and for God to move in and through the people. 
And as I read it, I couldn't get past this question for myself. And I raised it for me as much as I raised it for you. How long did you prepare this morning to come to worship? I'm glad that you all got dressed and I'm glad that you all are here. And aren't you glad that I got dressed and you just wish that I would buy a pair of pants that weren't long enough, weren't too long that I had to roll them up. But the question is this, how long did we prepare our hearts to hear from God? You and I, we live in a microwave culture. We live in a microwave world that says we've got to have it in the next 60 seconds or we lose interest, we lose interest, we've got to have it right now. And God says, to keep that analogy going, I work like a crock pot, oftentimes. And just to show how great God is. Just to show how great God is, Elijah says to some of the people, he says, hey, go get me four huge jars full of water. Now, that's pretty amazing on on a couple of fronts. Number one, they're on a mountain. They're not in the middle of town. They don't have running water out here on Mount Carmel. And on top of that, it has been three and a half years since it rained in that land. And he says, Go get me four huge jars of water, and I just want you to pour that great water out on that dead animal. And they did it. And he says, all right, now that you've done that, here's what else I want. Go do it again. And they did it. And he says, all right, go do it again. And so 12 jars of water has been poured out. It has been poured out in such a way that it has covered, it has saturated the animal, it has saturated the wood, it has saturated the stone, even the trench in that thirsty, thirsty ground. It is now there. And at the time of the offering, three o'clock in the afternoon, the regular time of worship, Elijah, the prophet, came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people, this people may know that you, O Lord, are God. And that you have turned their hearts back. And it is upon that prayer, and it is upon that moment and that request that the fire of God fell. The fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering. It consumed the wood of the altar. It consumed the stones of the altar and the dust there. And I love how the ESV states this. And licked up the water that was in the trench. You say, Brian, why in the world did that happen that way? Well, I think it happened that way for a number of reasons, but the one that I think is just shouting for all of those that are around on that mountain and for you and me today is this, that God, when he shows up at a scene, when he does his work, it is not just that he barely gets by. It's not just that he just sends down just enough fire to take care of that offering, but he supplies ample 
resources. Over and above anything that you could ask or think. To answer the need that you have. And he has that provision. He has provided that in the days of Elijah. He has provided that in the days of Christ. He provides that even today. Once God sent fire on the offering, all the water was dried up. All the dust was taken care of. All the stones were disintegrated. All the wood and the animal all to show you and all to show me to remind us that God is better when the enemy is on the outside and he is charging after you. In this story, and, and you know, for us, we would think that this is the pinnacle. This is the end of the story, finished, put a stamp on it, and it's over. Except for this one little statement or this one little scene that Uh, happens after that he says seize the prophets of Baal and let none of them escape and they seize them and they and Elijah killed all 850 of them right there he killed them and then Elijah turned to Ahab there in the verse 41 and he says all right Ahab uh, you better get home Jezreel that's your home you better get there because it's about to rain So he got on his chariot, he got everybody that was with him, and they were making their way, and Elijah and his servant stayed there on the top of the mount. And Elijah hit his knees, and he started praying, and he said to his servant, hey, go look out over the ocean and see if there's a cloud. And he looked, and it wasn't a cloud. He prayed. He prayed. He prayed. Time again, time again. They go back and forth, and finally, the seventh time, he said, I see I see something about the size of a fist. It's a a black dot out there about the size of a fist. And, oh, this is great stuff. Here's what happened. So he goes seven times, and verse 44 states this. And the seventh time he said, Behold, a little cloud like a man's hand or fist is rising from the sea. And he said, Go up and say to Ahab, Prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. So he's telling him, Hey, you better get down. Because the rain is coming in a little while. The heavens grew black with clouds. The heavens grew with the wind. And there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. And he gathered up his garment and he ran before Ahab at the entrance of Jezreel. I don't know if you remember these, but there used to be stores all over. It wasn't Dick's Sporting Goods store. It wasn't um, Academy Sports. There was, there was a thing called Athlete's Foot. And the picture of that Athlete's Foot was of a Greek foot with some wings on it. And that's all I could think about when I was listening and I was, I was reading what was going on with Elijah is that God just put on some of those sneakers with wings on them and he just flat out ran a chariot. It was amazing. I don't know if he was talking to him when he, when he caught up to him and he passed him by on the, with his feet or if he just, oh, got, oh I wonder what time Ahab's going to get here. I'm at the gate at Jezreel. I just wonder what's, wherever it happened, the hand of God was on Elijah 
and he went before him. And Ahab got there, and Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. And you think, as I would think, that, all right, it was a great, great thing, great thing that just happened on top of the mountain. God has destroyed the enemy's charge from the outside, and he is just going to be able to sit back, Elijah is, and just think about 850 dead prophets, all of Israel, all of Israel, calling out that God is Lord. All of Israel calling out El-E-Jah, El-E-Jah. It was a great day. But listen, because this is where you are, you need this this morning. You may not even think that you do, but you need this. Because if you think back in your life, if I think back in my life, those mountaintop experiences, it is not but a few moments after that, oftentimes, that you and I find ourselves in the midst of the deepest, darkest valley. Yeah, we just had a huge mountaintop experience. I mean, God was with us. Everything was great. Everything was awesome. And the next day, it seems that all the demons of hell are at your address, knocking on your door in the same room with you. And that is what is happening right here. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. And now he had killed all of the prophets, all of her prophets, all of the prophets of Baal and the Asherah with the sword. And Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods, so may the gods do to me. And more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then Elijah was afraid. Then Elijah arose and he ran for his life and he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under the, a broom tree. And he asked that he might die. He did it this way, saying, It's enough. It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and he slept under the broom tree. Behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake Baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb. The Mount of God. You and I need to understand that God shows that He's better 
when the enemy charges from the outside and that God shows that he is better when the enemy rages from the inside. For the next few moments, as we look at this passage, I want to talk to you about a subject that we push to the corners. We push even to silence it and not even speak of it. Suppress it. And I want to talk to you about the subject of depression. Depression is something that, one, I know there are multiple levels and there are multiple reasons behind those things. And it's not something that needs to be pushed back. It's not something that we need to just silence and not speak of. And I'm not here standing up for the next few moments saying, all right, this is everything on the subject because that would be foolish. But it is something that you and I need to look at. It is something that you and I need to talk about. It is something that you and I need to get help with. Elijah finds himself discouraged. Elijah finds himself in the midst of despair. He finds himself depressed. And he went from the top of the world to running for his life in the span of less than 24 hours. I was, re- I was listening to a sermon by Ron Dunn the other day. And uh, Ron Dunn was a, a pastor back in the 60s and 70s, 1960s and 1970s. And then from that time, he was uh, one who spoke a number of places, a number of conferences, a uh, number of continents. And uh, here's what he stated. He was talking about how good and bad oftentimes run like railroad tracks. They, they run on parallel tracks. Sometimes, yes, there is a lot of good and there's really not that much bad. But then sometimes there's a lot of bad and not that much good. But most of the time, where you find some good, there's also some bad. They're running on these parallel tracks. And they come about at the same time. And here, within the span of 24 hours, he's on the mountaintop and he's running for his life. Some great things and some terrible things are happening in Elijah's life. And guess what? They're happening in your life. And they're happening in my life. What does God do? What what does the father of this son, his son, what does God do to Elijah? Does God come on the scene and just absolutely scold him? Does God come on the scene and just just lambast him? No. God doesn't. He he goes to Elijah. He says, Elijah, why don't you take you a nap? Elijah, why don't you refresh yourself with this water and some of this food? And why don't you just let me speak into your life? Some of you. I don't want you to do this right now. But some of you, the best medicine for you right now is to go home and take a nap. Don't do it right now. He'll yell at me later. But that's what you need. You need to go home and you just need to unplug. And you just need to take a nap. Some of us, we need to eat right. Some of us need to just sit still and allow God to speak into our hearts and speak into our lives 
because this good and this bad, these parallel things are happening and you need truth spoken into you and spoken into me. And that's exactly what happens. God ministers to Elijah physically. He ministers to Elijah physically with the touch, with food, and with a nap. He ministers to Elijah spiritually with the wrong view that Elijah had about God. If you read this passage, Elijah is crying out and he says, God, just take me out. I'm the only one here. Nobody else is like me. Nobody else is in the same boat that I'm in. And God says, hello, hello, I've got 7,000 like you. I've got 7,000 that hadn't bowed the knee to Baal. I've got 7,000 plus you who are still following after me. You're not alone. You're not special, Elijah, in that sense. There are other people just like you that I can use, and I need you to understand that. And so it wasn't that God forgot about Elijah. It wasn't that God just left Elijah. No, Elijah had the wrong view of God, and he was trying to put God in a little box, and God will not, he cannot be placed in this box. And Elijah needed to understand that. So he ministers to him spiritually to get him to understand this wrong view of God. And then he ministers to him psychologically by just listening to him. God didn't come in and have like a 42-point sermon He just listened to Elijah. I don't know the last time that you have found yourself in the book of Psalms. But I've been reading through Psalms. And I'm at uh, Psalm 107, 108, 109, um, all the way up to 113 really this past week. And uh, I've read up to that point. And that's part of my quiet time, part of my readings uh, that I've been doing. Go listen to some of those psalms. Now, sure, there is that psalm that says, um, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's Psalm 23. But there's also some psalms by that same guy, David, that says, God, kill that guy. Just kill him. Those psalms were the journals of the psalmist. And there are some moments in your day and my days that we just need to write down, God, you have got to take that person out. You just got to take care of this because there is no way I'm going to go to jail if I have to deal with it. So you just got to do it. You know what? It's okay. Take it to him. Take it to him. He is God over the whole universe. He is God over everything. It's not that you need to put it on Facebook. It's not that you need to put it on your Twitter or Instagram. No, you just need to take it to him. I need to take it to him and say, God, you deal with it. And he will. It just so happens that God saw fit for you and me to have David's journal. For you and me to have the sons of Korah's journal and their prayer journal. So that you and I would understand that we're not so different. There were tough times way back then. There's tough times now. And until he comes, there will be tough times. It is stated that Winston Churchill, I've got to hurry up. It is stated that Winston Churchill had three hobbies. And even in the midst and the height of the war, he would spend at least two hours a day, every day doing one of these three. Winston Churchill loved novels. And so he would read 
he loved watching movies, and so he would watch movies, and he loved to paint. You say, why in the world? How in the world could he do this? I mean, in the height of the war, how in the world could he do this? Because Winston Churchill understood something that you and I need to understand. If he was going to take care of the country that he so greatly loved, he had to take care of himself. David Pollison, Christian counselor, states it this way. Things that grow in a secret garden oftentimes find themselves growing mutant. Do you see what Elijah did? He had his servant with him for a little while, and then he just left his servant. He went a day's journey alone. Some of the worst things that you could ever do is go somewhere alone. That can be a dark, dark place alone. Spiritually based depression. Spiritually based depression. The Biblical Counseling Coalition came up with um, a four-tier point. I've got a, a, an illustration up on the screen, I think. Four stages of spiritually rooted depression. I think the funniest part is like the whole stick figure, man. It's great stuff. We'll get there. But the first is this, disappointment. There is confusion, there's sadness, there's grief, there's unfulfilled expectation. Isn't that where Elijah was? God, I just did everything for you and I'm running for my life. What? Discontentment goes from disappointment to discontentment. There is this act of self-righteousness, this act of self-pity, brooding, anger, bitterness. God, I am the only person. No, Elijah, I've got 7,000. You're not alone. But God, I am the... No. It's not about you. It's not self-righteousness. Disappointment, discontentment goes to despair. There's hopelessness. God, just take my life. Father, please, just, it's enough. Just take my life. There's no way out. That's what you see. There's no way out. There's giving up on all these responsibilities and etc. I mean, you're just done with it. That's where Elijah was. Even to the point of number four, destructiveness. Suicidal, homicidal, the critical spirit, hostility, impulsivity. I mean, we saw it this week. Somebody walking in a church building. Killing nine people because there's no hope. What are the action points? The action points for times of discouragement, bringing it to a close, is this. One. You and I must defer to the wisdom of God. You and I must defer to the wisdom of God. Because God is often doing His best work in ways that you cannot see and you do not know. God, it's only me. No, I have 7,000. God, you don't understand. Let's, let me hurry. But I need you to see this. Look in verse number... 11. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 11. God's speaking to Elijah. And here's what he says. He said, go. That's not where I want you to be. One second. 
Go down to verse 15. We'll get to 11 in just a second. He says this, And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphath, of Abel Molela, you shall anoint, why wouldn't it just like Hernando? You shall anoint to be prophet in your place. What do you and I need to grasp from that? You and I need to understand this. That in this passage, and more than likely at our point in time right now, God's working behind the scenes. He's working behind the scenes. And you think, oh, there is no way in the world that at my job site it will ever become non-toxic because it has been toxic since I've been there and I've been there since 1987. I don't know when you've been there. Yeah. He can work. Elijah did not know who in the world this guy was. Haziel in Damascus. But you need to know what happens. He anoints him king. And that guy comes in and just takes him out. He did not know who this guy by the name of Elisha was. But he said, you need to go and you need to anoint this man, Elisha, to take your place. Sometimes you and I must defer to the wisdom of Almighty God because he's working behind the scenes that you cannot see and you don't have any clue about. Second, you and I must embrace the love and the grace of God. In verses 11 through 13, God says, all right, I need you to go to this mount called Horeb. History lesson very quick is this, that it was also name of Sinai. And at that mountain in the time of Moses, there was a tornado, there was an earthquake, and there was fire. And God showed up in all three of them. There is an earthquake, there is a tornado, and there's fire this day, and God doesn't show up. But then there was this quiet voice, and God was in the midst of that quiet voice. And in verse number 11, God says, Elijah, I want you to go out to the the entrance of the cave. And in verse 12, those three things, the tornado, the fire, and the earthquake happen, and he can't. He can't. And the mountain consumes all three of those. The mountain takes the brunt of the tornado. The mountain takes the brunt of the earthquake. The mountain takes the brunt of the fire. And you and I need to understand this is a picture of what happened for you and what happened for me on the cross. That Jesus came to take the tornado, the wrath of God, the fire, the earthquake, the wrath of Almighty God so that you and I might be able to You and I must embrace the love and the grace of God. But I don't deserve it. You're absolutely correct. That's why it's called grace. I don't deserve it. That's why it's a gift. I need to do something. You can't. Finally, you and I need to confront the lie. If you were to read verse 10, you would see that there is a lie. But around the lie, there's a number of truths. Verse 10, he states this. He said, this is Elijah speaking. 
I have been very jealous for the Lord. Had he? Yes, he had. For the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. Had the children of Israel turned away from God? Had they forsaken the covenant? Yes, they had. Had they killed all the prophets? Yes, they had. But then there's this false statement. I am the only one left. This is one reason why discouragement, despair, depression is so entangling and so hard. It's because there is a lot of truths that are happening around it. But there's also this one lie. And if you're going to come clean, if you're going to deal with this, if I'm going to come clean, I'm going to deal with this, you and I must confront the lie. Elijah wasn't the only one. There were some 7,000 that God was ready to use and was about to use. You and I can't see all the things that are going on. In the midst of the earthquakes that you're going through, in the midst of the fire that you're going through, in the midst of the tornadoes and the storms of life that you are going through, understand this, that God still speaks. He may be in the tornado. He may be in the earthquake. He may be in the turmoil. You and I may think we know how God's going to respond. But you and I can't put him in a box just like Elijah couldn't. And just because he responded one way one time doesn't mean that he's going to respond the same way this time. But you and I must, we must understand that he's better when the enemy rages on the outside and he's better when the enemy rages from the inside. Heavenly Father, I bow before you. Father, I bow before you in the midst of uh, hurting people. God, the, uh, the struggle in our lives, sometimes they're minimal, sometimes they are great. God, we don't know what's coming next week. But Father, you do. Lord, I pray for every one of us right now, right right now, this moment, I pray that in this calm, in this pause, God, we would come to you. God, you would show yourself strong and mighty in such a way. God, you're good. God, we celebrate that. God, we've come this morning. Father, I pray for every man and every boy, every woman and every girl that you would do business with them this morning. You would speak this morning. Maybe it's for something down the road. God, just put it on a, on a brain cell that they're not using right now, that we're not using. Or maybe it's for right this moment. Action needs to be taken right now. God, would you move? And may I, may we trust in you give you this time, Father. Please work in Christ's name. Amen. Would you please stand and would you sing with us?